So recognizing responsibility is a skill. It's something that has to be, that has to be taught. Well, it's something that has to be learned. And some children can learn it naturally, but many do need to be taught. They need to be walked through that. Mm -hmm. How many, how many adults do you know? How many adults have you worked with who were really bad about recognizing their responsibility? Right. Can I get an amen in the chat room? I'm doing okay. I'm Kevin. I'm having a little bit of an off day. Yeah. I don't know if it's lack of sleep. Yeah, or... you've been staying up late lately. So yeah, did the grocery shopping Tuesday night. Yeah. So this morning, I just I feel like I've constantly been behind. I didn't. I I made a big breakfast this morning. Yeah. I cheated. I usually make homemade biscuits from scratch. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, like I go out and I collect the wheat and I chuck the wheat. <laughs> and, so no, I don't do that. Uh, but I usually make biscuits from scratch. I I went ahead and got store-bought biscuits because our son is halfway to 18. Yes, our he oldest, is. Our oldest son is halfway to 18. Don't remind me. And so we, were, uh, we gave him a birthday breakfast this morning. Yep. But... But I've just been, ever since this morning, I've just been running behind. I had to make the boys' lunches and deliver them to school after I dropped them off at school. And I was late getting the twins down for their nap and getting the baby down and getting the show started. Yeah. And now I'm excited about this topic, but I also, at the same time, really just want to take a nap. (laughs) All right, then. I'm just, it's okay. I'm just going to be honest. Yeah. But I'm glad that we're doing this. We got a lot of great questions and discussion. Yeah, I saw that. So good stuff. Yeah. So I'm ready to get into it. Are you? Yep. Okay. So the question is, is it okay for my child to experience guilt and shame? And I was, uh, I was actually, we were on the road a couple of days ago and you encouraged me to to record myself, just kind of try to dictate the outline for this episode. Yeah. And so I, I started off and, and this is something that I've been doing anyway. I've been just recording myself when I have something that I need to write an outline or a topic. Um, I record myself first because I feel like I think best Mm -hmm. out loud. Yeah. You're one of those people. And, and so I started and I said, you know, to, to simplify these two words and define them. And I, I went into my thing and apparently it was a little bit too long for your tastes because you interrupted me and you said, <laughs> I would say, and then I got upset with you, but I really liked the way that you put it. Yeah. And so can you uh, yeah. give a simple definition for guilt? Okay. Shame? So, so guilt is when a kid says I did something bad and shame is when a kid says I am bad. So they take on what they did as part of their identity. Yeah. So guilt really is focused on the actions, whereas mm-hmm. shame is about the identity. Yes. I wrote down some notes here that I wanted to read about these two things just to kind of 
further define them. So shame tells you that you are a person who does the bad thing. Right. This story perpetuates the behavior and makes it worse. Mm -hmm. So when you believe that you're bad and that you just do bad things, you will, you will tend to that, that belief will perpetuate that behavior. Mm -hmm. And so it's like saying, yes, you did this because this is who you are. That's, that's what's, that's the story that you're telling yourself. Mm -hmm. Guilt tells you that you've done the bad thing. And this story helps you to be responsible for the behavior and make it right. Mm -hmm. So it does, it does still point out that you did it. Yes, you did this and you can make it right. And it doesn't change who you are. Yes. So I hope those definitions help. And that's, that's going to be the foundation for what we're going to talk about in this episode. Mm-hmm. So as parents, how can we help our children to have a healthy relationship with their mistakes, their misbehavior, to experience the right kind of emotion when it comes to those things? And so the, the first place I want to start is with our reactions. Mm-hmm. The way that we react, and this is different from, you know, doling out a consequence or something like that. This is in the moment, the misbehavior is going on or has just happened and how we react to that. So we, we obviously want to be careful. Mm-hmm. Um, our facial expressions, our posture, our tone can communicate to a child that we are disappointed with them it can communicate that we feel angry with them and and so while it's while it's okay for us to feel our emotions what the child experiences when they see the physical the I'm sorry the visible expression of those emotions is that their behavior is causing a a disconnection between them and us right and and, and I know that it's uh <laughs> it feels almost impossible sometimes. Mm -hmm. But the more that we can keep from having an outward, uh, an an outward expression as a reaction of our emotions, the easier it's going to be for them to feel connected to us. And that connection is going to be important in us being able to help them walk through that mistake or that failure. And part of this comes back to, I I think I was talking in one of the episodes about how I've been trying to sort of distance myself from what the boys are doing or the destruction that they're causing. Yeah. So almost like I'm an outside observer instead of somebody who maybe owns this stuff. You know what I mean? Well, and and so I I do want to say, don't hear you shouldn't feel angry. No. Or you shouldn't feel disappointed or or whatever. It's you, you, you don't want to suppress your feelings. So there's, and and this is a, this is a really great thing after the fact, after you've walked through it, because you can say when, when this happened, I felt very angry Mm -hmm. and what they're going to look back to and and remember is how you expressed those feelings. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's, like I said, it, it feels so impossible sometimes and I would say that, you know, for myself, probably 95% of the time, I feel like I don't have any control over how I react in the moment. Yeah. But it's something that I want to work toward. It's something that I want to improve on. But also, um, just to provide a little hope here, it's it's not the end of the world if we don't react the right way. Because, I mean, right. I, I have a story about one time our 
oldest son, I think he was only six at the time, but he was playing around in our laundry room, which is where I keep some bottles of essential oil um, because I use it with our laundry. And he was just being really rough. And I had warned him not to be rough in there because they're breakable things. And sure enough, he knocks down a whole bottle of really expensive essential oil. And I just, I stood there and looked at him and then I just, I screamed, like I let out this awful scream. I didn't say anything. I just screamed. And it was, it was like right after our twins were born and we were like sleep deprived and all kinds of stuff. And I just felt like I had nothing left at that point. Yeah. And I just remember his face and he took off running because he's one of those kids who's like definitely flight whenever there's danger, you know? (laughs) And if so, mom was screaming, yeah, it was, it was really bad. And so he took off running, but, but the important part of that was coming back and reconciling it. Absolutely. So like I said, I'm, I'm 5% success rate <laughs> currently <laughs> on, on the practice of this. So, um, we get to, after the fact, uh, we, we get an opportunity to, reinforce our child's identity, you know, remind them that we love them and that their behavior isn't attached to our feelings about them mm-hmm. and, and, um, the, the worth that we assign to them. So one of the things that you said earlier though, about trying to look at things objectively, that's one of the tools that you can use to help get closer to having, um, more control over the way you express your emotions in that instance. So so being more objective and, and trying to imagine yourself as an observer and you're just making observations about facts. Now, where you do feel emotions, one of the really great things you can do for yourself is to be aware of what you're feeling and then try to understand why you're feeling that. So in that instance, mm-hmm. you felt angry. You may have also felt desperate. Mm-hmm. and you you already identified you can easily trace back to well we had just had the twins you were feeling overwhelmed mm-hmm. there may be something else going on when we're trying to leave the house and our oldest son like he does almost every single time mm-hmm. remembers as we're walking out the door that he wanted to pack some stuff in his in his backpack and we're already running late the anger that i feel in that moment isn't because of that it's because I don't want to be late and I, I don't want to be late because I don't want to disappoint somebody or, you know, so, so I can trace it away from my child to the real root of that. And, and then you're getting into your shame stories too, from even childhood or any, I mean, this is, this is huge. Like if we're willing to trace those reactions back, we can see where a lot of them come from. Yeah. It's kind of a scary thing to do, but it really is a good thing. I'm sure we'll get into some of that later. Megan in the chat says, I've gotten pretty good about not saying anything in reaction to the things that are done or said, but my face is very, very expressive. Any thoughts, tips on not having a facial reaction? And And I don't, I, I want to be, I want to be careful here because I don't want it to seem like, yeah, I I said, hide your face. (laughs) I don't want it to seem like you you never want to have any kind of it it can actually be healthy for our children to see us have 
emotional expressions mm-hmm. on, on, and, and to express those things on our faces. We, we just want to be aware. So when you react, you want to be aware of how your child receives that. And the more you can reinforce their identity and teach them through practice, so they're, they're going to make mistakes all the time. You know, so, so you teach them by consistently coming back and saying, you know that I love you. You're, you're my child. I'm, I'm so glad to be your parent, regardless of what you did. Mm-hmm. You know, so always coming back and doing that is going to give you a little bit more room in the area of being expressive. But I would say that it also a helpful thing is to know what we're thinking at that moment. And it's hard when we're in our emotion moments or when our when we're in our high emotion moments. Yeah. But it's helpful for us to be aware of what we're thinking because if if the story that we're telling ourselves is, wow, he's such a bad kid, then that's going to come across. And so we have to rewrite that story into something that just says, you know what? He is a really good kid who forgot who he was for a minute and he did something that I didn't want him to do and I still love him but he needs to know that he has to make amends for this now. You know, so yeah. so we have to be conscious of the story that we're telling ourselves because it's easy especially especially when we were shamed as kids. It's very very easy to fall into that mindset of he's just a bad kid or you know because it's when we're in our anger moments we sometimes can't control the story that we're telling ourselves. You know, there's there's a thing that you've said before, and and this is something that um, you might need to repeat to yourself, and, and that is when a child knows better, they will do better. Mm-hmm. And so that knowing isn't always understanding the rules necessary, necessarily. Sometimes the knowing is a, a remembering of who they are. So so when when they make a mistake sometimes it's pretty obvious oh they you know, they're not old enough to know better i still need to teach them mm-hmm. but sometimes it's something that they really do know better you know it, it seems like they've learned the lesson enough times mm-hmm. but in that moment they're forgetting who they are they're forgetting that they belong to a family they're forgetting uh, something about the way that they're supposed to or maybe there's Maybe there's a second level of understanding that they, so even though they know the rule, they don't yet understand why the rule is important. Mm-hmm. And so it makes it easier to break it. So so telling yourself that in those moments is really helpful because it does cause you to dig a little bit deeper and to say, okay, why did they do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's another really great, I can't remember which uh, book this was in. I think it was Parenting Without Power Struggles. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where they they talked about how sometimes we'll do this thing to ourselves as parents. Well, where we'll say, well, they should or they shouldn't do, you know, whatever it is. And the book encourages us to flip that around and say, so for example, when the twins keep getting out of their beds when they're supposed to be laying down to take a nap, say, well, they we we always get onto them. They always get in trouble for getting out of bed. They should stay in their bed. They should go to sleep. And and so to flip that around and say, well, they should get out of their bed and break the rules because taking a nap when you don't feel sleepy and you're a three-year-old kid with all this energy and you've got another 
three-year-old kid in the room with you to play with <laughs> is a lot of fun. You sh- there, there's no reason you should lay down. Yeah. You know, so telling yourself the opposite story and trying to understand it that way can also help temper those emotional reactions. Yeah. So it's not bad for our kids to see our emotions, but I think that it's really important for us to be aware of the story that we are telling ourselves about the situation. Yeah. So that was talking about our reactions. Next, I wanted to get into our response. So how this is different is our response is kind of what we do after the fact to pick up the pieces and make things right. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk about consequences versus punishment. Okay. And so in in our home, one of the values that we have is that punishment doesn't really have a place. It's not a useful tool for helping our children learn the things that they need to learn and grow beyond the mistakes and misbehaviors. Right. Um, consequences, however, are a very useful tool because in almost in almost every case, there's some natural consequence. Um, that comes as a result of them making some mistake. Right. So one of one of the examples is being goofy at the table. Our five year old will dance around and be silly and stuff like that, and we tell him beforehand, you know, if you do that, you might not knock something over. This is not the appropriate place to behave that way because there are too many things that can go wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, so. So the the consequence that he experiences from behaving that way comes when he does knock something over and now he's, he has to clean it up. And if it's milk, he doesn't get another glass of milk. Yeah, we're not, <laughs> we're not gonna, yeah, I'm, so, I'm sorry that you spilled your milk, but. That was your, yeah, that was your glass and now you just spilled it because was you're your, being silly. That was your milk ration for this week. <laughs> that sounds terrible. But seriously, like they go through seven gallons of milk every week. Every so. week. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. So so that's that's a natural consequence. In some cases, it's not quite as obvious. And, and we may need to get a little bit more creative about assigning some kind of consequence to it. So so sometimes it's indirect. Like our, our oldest, we've noticed that when he plays his uh, – when he's – has his screen time for too long, mm-hmm. he will be more hostile toward his siblings because he gets really focused on this game. And, and so one of the things that we've done is, is we've said, okay, if you're going to be hostile toward your brothers after you play your game, we're going to have to cut back on your time so that it doesn't have that effect on you. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes we we've we've done this too. We've assigned a consequence that didn't really have anything to do with the offense, and our oldest has called it, called us out on it. Yeah. Said, so what does that have to do with it? And so then, what I've done is I'll ask him. Oh, okay. Well, what do you think is a better consequence? And then he actually becomes a part of that conversation with us. Right. And sometimes we'll even give him a choice. You know where he. I can't remember, think of a specific example, but I know that we've. Yeah. And I want to get into consequences and responsibility a little bit more. Um, But what we, what we can do, and this is, this was part of the reaction, what we were talking about, but this is also a part of our response. We make observations and objective statements. We don't make subjective value statements like 
you're you're such a bad kid or you're so clumsy you know those those things are not really objective mm-hmm. statements things that like point at them like you you were so silly that you knocked this over you know something yeah. that just observes oh you you know yeah your renegade you, leg went out and <laughs> right you were you were dancing in your seat and your foot hit the glass of milk and it fell over and it spilled all over the table. That's, what are you going to do about that? That's that's an observation. Yeah. Right. So so those observations and, and and speaking that way keeps us from assigning any uh, of their self-worth or value to what they did. Mm-hmm. And that's really important. And also if you know the times that we want to be like, you know what? I feel I feel angry that you want to be so silly at the table when you know what can happen. You know, it's, it's totally fine to say something like that Yeah, that's because you're taking responsibility for your own emotions, but you're not pointing at them as you're a bad kid. Right. And there, there is some nuance in there. So rather than saying you make me angry when you do this, right? Mm -hmm. because then you're putting the responsibility of your feelings on, on the child. You say, I feel angry when this happens. Mm-hmm. Now, we can't, we can't always control the way that we feel. We can control the way that we react. Uh, we, we definitely don't want to suppress or, or try to deny our emotions. Um, but our emotions belong to us. Mm-hmm. So the goal isn't to try to stop feeling a certain way when certain things happen. But the fact that you feel a certain way in a certain situation is not the fault of the child. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, it just happens to be a fact that you feel a certain way in a certain situation. Mm-hmm. And when you're connected and, and, and your focus is on the relationship with that child, if they see that something they're doing is uh, that when they do something, you feel a certain way, and they don't like that emotion for you, they might adjust their behavior because of that relationship and because of what they want for you. And, and that's something that they can choose and decide for themselves. Mm-hmm. But you don't force that on them. You don't say, I don't want to feel angry, so you need to stop doing that. Yeah. It really should be about the consequences, about the, the relationship. So I wanted to get into responsibility and, and this is where I feel like guilt as, as an emotion, as an experience can be really, really helpful mm-hmm. and good. So guilt actually leads to responsibility. The, the definition of guilt, I'm going to go ahead and read this real quick because I, I really like, it just says the fact of having committed a specific or implied offense or crime. Mm-hmm. It's just really cut and dry, the fact. Mm-hmm. This, this happened. And the reason I like that is because there's no, there's no room for identity in that definition. It's just this is what happened. Right. And so when guilt makes that statement and says, you did this, responsibility picks that up and says, you can do something about this. You can make it right. It's not about value. It's just about recognizing the fact and taking on the responsibility and knowing that you can make it right. And when it's not 
when it's not a part of your identity, when you don't feel like you're not as good of a person because of what you've done, you have the freedom to act responsibly and to correct it. Yeah. So in an example of like our boys hitting each other or something, because this happens like every other minute, somebody's mad at somebody and somebody, you know, punches them in the face or whatever. And sometimes, you know, they laugh about it because it's kind of funny to hear the smack sound on somebody's face, but other times somebody gets hurt and they're crying. And so a way to use guilt instead of shame. So, so shame would be like, you know, an angry face that points a finger at a kid and says, look what you did to your brother. Don't you feel bad about that? You know? Um, But approaching that from a guilt place, it looks more like coming in and observing, Hey, your brother's crying and I saw your hand hit him. Mm-hmm. Do you see, do you see how, do you, how does he feel? You know, asking them questions about those kinds of things as, and this is, this is a really tough one for us too, because uh, I know for you, especially you get really angry when they hurt each other. Yeah. But the thing is like, this is just a normal part of sibling relationships. Like it's, I mean, I think back to me and my sister and we were girls, but I still remember like, punching her a few times and that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And this Um, is a house full of boys. Yeah. I mean, it's testosterone and impulsivity. (laughs) So, but just approaching that from not as angry a place, you know, if somebody's really hurt, then of course we have to address the hurt one first. Uh, And we should always address the hurt one first anyway, because otherwise the other one the one who did the offense gets all of the attention, you know, and that can go back to, Oh, I can do this to get attention or whatever. Yeah. So what you're doing in that instance is you're inviting them to be the outside observer with you mm-hmm. and, yeah. and to say, okay, let's rewind the tape and, and let's watch and and make observations about what happened. Mm-hmm. Th- this is so recognizing responsibility is a skill. It's something that has to be, that has to be taught. Well, it's something that has to be learned and some children can learn it naturally, but many do need to be taught. They need to be walked through that. Mm -hmm. How many, how many adults do you know? How many adults have you worked with who were really bad about uh, recognizing their responsibility? Right. Can I get an amen in the chat room? (laughs) I mean, I, I can tell you that almost every single job that I've had in, in, in almost, and this is not just in the secular realm, but even in churches and stuff. I've had coworkers and and people who just, they were really bad at taking responsibility. Mm -hmm. And the root of that is most of the time is shame because if they take responsibility, it means they've done something wrong. And because they're afraid that that means they're a bad person. Right. It changes who they are. Yeah. They don't, they don't want anything to do with that. Mm -hmm. It's much easier to point the finger and protect my identity. Yeah. So taking, taking responsibility is an important skill when you, when you take responsibility. Well, okay. So let me, let me go beyond that. So recognizing responsibility is one thing. When you seek out responsibility, it helps you to feel more powerful. Suddenly it doesn't matter whether you do something right or wrong in a situation. It gets, it gets, it just gets more and more complex mm-hmm. because it's not just 
what you did, but sometimes it's what you didn't do. And sometimes it's what you didn't do that didn't seem like a big deal, but because you didn't do it, somebody else did this thing, and now it's it turned into this big explosion. And it's easy to point the finger at the person who seems like the most likely suspect for whatever it is that went wrong. Mm -hmm. But when we seek responsibility, we get to, we are actually more powerful in that situation because we, we can say, okay, now I may not have been the one who caused it to blow up like this, but what role did I play in it? And in the future, how can I avoid that? Mm -hmm. When we, when, when we experience shame, we don't get to go through that process and we never get to learn from those mistakes. We never get to grow from them. Yeah. That's why guilt is a, a much better teacher. It's actually a really healthy thing because it leads us to seeking out responsibility. Mm-hmm. Agreed. All right. I did get some amens in the chat room. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, Garrett and Joanne. <laughs> And, and Terrence said, this is a skill I never learned and I'm still trying to figure out. That's a, that sounds like something a, re, a responsible person would say. Yeah, definitely. So it's something that you continue to learn. The, the skill of recognizing and seeking responsibility is something that you'll continue to grow in, mm-hmm. especially if you're purposeful about it. But also, um, if we're not willing to examine our own shame stories and dig back into some of those, I don't know that we're ever going to come to a place where we're completely comfortable doing that. We'll, because, we'll get there. Yeah. Okay. You're getting ahead of me. I know. All right. So, and this is still, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep it focused on the kids for now. Uh, sometimes the shame our child experiences comes from outside the home, mm-hmm. whether it's with their friends or the parents of their friends or a teacher or, you know, administrators at the school, people, people who are teachers in the church. Mm -hmm. So, so it's important for us to keep an eye out for some of the signs that our child may be experiencing shame. And so some, some of the signs may be, they don't relate to us the same way that they usually do. They seem, they may seem a little bit distant or or they may get touchy about something that normally they wouldn't get touchy about Mm -hmm. a sudden change in behavior. If you, if you notice all of a sudden they seem to be acting like someone they're not, they may seem depressed. Mm -hmm. Their interests may shift rapidly. Now these aren't all necessarily, it's like when you feel sick and you have some symptom and you look it up on Google yeah. And it says, well, you're well, dying. You're di- yeah, you're dying. <laughs> Dr. Google s- says that if you have stomach pain, you probably have, you know, something terrible. <laughs> but if you notice these things, uh, it's worth investigating. And that's why it's so important to keep communication open. May I tell a story here? Yes, you may. Okay. So we have a pretty heartbreaking story about how we figured out that one of our sons was experiencing shame. And it was, uh, it was our oldest son. He's a very spirited kid. He's very intelligent, um, above the level of his peers. And he, during his second grade year, which was last year, he was having a lot of trouble in school and, um, just couldn't really relate to people was, um, 
you know, acting outside of who he was. He was putting hands around his neck and acting like he wanted to choke himself and uh, saying things like, I want to die. Jeez, I don't know if I'll be able to get through this. So we um, we set up a meeting with school administrators to talk about all of these things. And these these aren't things that he was doing at home. No. So we set up a meeting to talk about these things and kind of hashed out in the meeting that um, he had he had racked up like I forget the exact number. It was like 19 discipline referrals in 21 days or something. And we had seen nothing of that. Nothing came home. Um, we just knew that he was, uh, when he would come home, he would say he had a bad day. And some of, sometimes that would shift into, um, I'm just a bad kid. I can't really do anything right and all of this. And so we knew immediately that there was something wrong, that something was going on that was telling him a story that was not true. And so I was the one who was kind of um, cornered, I guess, at the school because the administrators wanted to talk to me about um, one of the latest things that had happened. And so I was sitting in this room and I had uh, we had four of the kids, no, three of the kids home at the time because I was pregnant with uh, our youngest. And I was trying not to pay attention to them, trying to pay attention to the administrators. And the entire time I could tell that they were just like, you know, talking about him as if he were this person they had built up in their minds. And I knew surely that he wasn't. Yeah. And so I, you know, I went home and wrote a very long letter to all of the administrators and just told them, you know, when all we see is a bad kid, that's all we can expect because a kid knows when you think he's bad. And we slowly had to walk through this. Like we had, we had to um, walk him through, a place where he could come back to who he was and feel certain of his identity. And it took, it took a lot of work, but the signs for that were just that, you know, he was, he was acting like, I mean, he would even say things to us sometimes, like, I just want to die. I don't belong here and all kinds of stuff. And that's, that's when you know that there's a really big problem and you need to, you know, figure out what's going on there. So yeah, sorry, so, that was a long story, but no, no, it's good. And so what you, what we did in that case is we, you know, we recognized it, and and really, if we'd been purposefully paying attention, we probably could have recognized it a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. But once we recognized it, you know, we we opened up those lines of communication, and and we, and it was a process. You know, we we had to meet him where he was. Mm-hmm because he had already gone down that road so far of, so far. of, of shame. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we kept the communication open. We, we reinforced his identity. We reminded him who he was as, as much as we could. And we also got to the root of the shame. We, we had to work with him through that communication to discover where that story started. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, who, who's the original author. And, and sometimes it's not a person. Sometimes it's a situation mm-hmm. and the person doesn't, the, the person in the situation who maybe brought about those feelings didn't mean to cause those feelings, but that, that was the, that was the story that was written. And that was the story that perpetuated this belief that perpetuated these behaviors that reinforced this belief for others who were around him, you know? And so 
you can see how it can snowball. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting getting to the root of that was really important. Yeah. Now, this is something that we, as parents, I'm going to go ahead and shift here to us. We're an example to our kids. And so when we experience an act out of shame and our kids see that from us, they're more likely to have the same kind of response to their mistakes and failure because mm-hmm. they're, they're looking to us for how to respond and, and react to the things that they do. They know, I mean, they see, they see when we make mistakes. Yeah. So there we we're we're not as good at keeping that stuff hidden from them as we think. Yeah. And, and I know that when we were going through that particular instance with our oldest, I remember the day that the administrators caught me in the office and they were like, we need to talk about Jaden. And I just felt this immediate, just hot flush all over my body because I knew because we, you know, we had been in conversation about some of the things that he was doing to himself. And I just felt this immediate hot flush and I recognized it as shame because shame, it makes you feel like almost that you're weak in the knees and that you're, um, you break out into a cold sweat, you know, because it's, it's, it's got some fear in it. It's got some, uh, discomfort in it. And, um, and I recognize that one of my shame triggers is that I am not enough. You know, I am not enough of a good mother to be able to have a son who can do well in school. And so tracing those stories back and knowing, because if you, if we act out of that shame, you know, I could have sat there in that meeting and been defensive the entire time. Mm -hmm. And I know that that part of me was for a while. And then I was able to kind of breathe and tell myself, this is not my fault. This is not, you know, it's, it's not a result of bad mothering. It's not because he's a bad kid. It's, you know, when we, when we try to tell ourselves that stuff over and over and we can finally let it sink in and we can approach something like that from a place where we can think more clearly and see more clearly and be able to help our child more. Yeah. And, and that, so shame wants you to hide from those situations. You know, it, maybe you had some kind of failure in the past or some, something that causes you to think that way. And, and so that's something really important too. So the story you were telling yourself is, you know, maybe I'm not a good mother. Maybe I can't handle this. But where did that story originate? Mm-hmm. It's it's a really difficult skill to learn. But one of the things that can really help us as parents have a healthier relationship with the things in our past is to when when we feel shame, when we recognize that, we can make observations about the resulting behavior. We can make observations about our feelings and. So an example of that is I've been eating a lot of junk food lately. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's an observation. Um, I, could, I could feel shame about that. And then I would probably eat, eat more. more junk food because <laughs> I'm trying to not feel my feelings of shame. But I, f- I feel stressed and overwhelmed. That's another observation. I have a lot of projects going on right now. So that could be part of the, the problem. But there's there's more to that. If I if I let myself dig a little bit deeper, what story am I telling myself? I mean, why why do I feel so overwhelmed? I when I have too many things going on, I I tend to shut down. Mm-hmm. Why does that happen? You know, and so I'm digging a little bit deeper here. 
Uh, I can't remember a specific example, but um, maybe it came from several different instances. But I remember as a kid, or as a young man rather, hearing that I'm not good at multitasking. Now I know, you know, like the definition of multitasking, nobody can really multitask. Like you can only do one thing at a time. Right. But it would be crazy to say that, um, that a person exists who only is, has one thing going on in their life at a time that they have to focus on. We are people who live in community and we interact with each other. We have children, we have homes, we have cars, we have jobs, we have clients, whatever it is. So there's, there's always more than one thing to juggle and hold in your mind. Right. Mm -hmm. So my definition, and I'm saying this so that you don't get hung up on the multitasking thing. Okay. So, so yes, I, I totally agree that, that multitasking when it comes to doing more than one thing at a time in a given moment is, is not something that we're capable of, but multitasking in the sense of having many plates spinning, like you, you have a job, you have a family and keeping up with those things is something that we as as healthy adults uh, have to rise to the occasion of doing mm-hmm. okay so that being said maybe the the shame in that situation is keeping me from even addressing the situation i just feel shame and so i'm going to keep eating junk food and and taking on these self-destructive behaviors and that that has an origination point somewhere. Somewhere I started believing the story that I can't handle that. When really the truth is, I, I am equipped with most of what I need to be able to handle what, what may seem overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And whether that means I can make decisions about cutting things out of my life that I shouldn't be focused on right now, or I can make decisions about things that I can, strategies that I can implement to make myself more efficient and handle those things, you know, so I can, I can work on problem solving if I can overcome that shame, Mm -hmm. but I can only overcome that shame if I can find the, the original story that I'm believing. We have to be willing to dig into that. And sometimes it's, I mean, it's really hard because I know some of my shame triggers go way back you know, when somebody told me big girls don't cry. And so now every time I cry in front of somebody, I apologize for it. Is that stupid song? No, (laughs) no. I was told that repeatedly by my father. So because he didn't like to hear crying. It's okay for you to cry. Yeah, exactly. But, but we have to, okay. So sometimes the things, here's what I've found also. Sometimes the things that bother us about our children are things that we feel shame about. So for me, one of the things that really, really bothers me when our boys do it is whining. And it's because I have shame when it comes to whining, because when I was a kid, I was shamed for whining, you know, Yeah. which is, you know, like kids do that. Well, and, and so the being shamed for something versus somebody pointing out, you know, when you whine, it actually hurts my ears. That's an observation. Right. It's just it's just stating a fact. And and so you can probably think back to things in your childhood where where your parents probably did you know, they didn't know this stuff. They didn't handle the misbehavior or the mistake 
in the right way and they attached your identity to it Mm -hmm. and they made some kind of value statement about who you are because of what you did. And so even something as simple as like, don't be whiny, you know, yeah, don't be whiny because then you sort of take on that. I mean, I remember being told that as a kid and I thought I was a whiny kid, you know, I probably was, but, (laughs) but I, yeah, I mean, it, it, really goes back to being aware of how we talk to our children too. And it's, it's my belief that we're all just doing the best we can with what we have, you know? Yeah. So even when we're searching our shame stories, when we go back to maybe the people in our lives who originally authored that story, sometimes we even have to go back into their story. So, you know, when I think of my dad, I think of, he didn't, he didn't have a dad. He didn't know what it was like to be a dad. Like it all makes sense to me, you know? Yeah. And so that helps us with our shame stories too. I was going to say, I just finished uh, reading Brene Brown is a shame researcher and she just came out with a new book called Rising Strong and uh, it was a fantastic book. So Brene Brown has uh, this thing that she encourages people to do that's called a stormy first draft. And it's where we take any kind of misbehavior or wrong that we've done or anything like that. And we record the story that we were telling ourselves. Anyway, we were sitting in our church and, you know, you're a really talented worship leader and I enjoy leading worship with you and stuff. And um, there's a position available at the church, but nobody's really like approached us. And so I was sitting there telling myself, oh my gosh, they just don't want us. They don't like us. They don't, you know, and so I started writing down my stormy first draft because it was crap. Like people love us and we're super awesome. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it's amazing. Some of the things that we can tell ourselves you in might, those shame moments. You might need to listen to the previous episode. It was about American Idol syndrome. <laughs> You're dumb. So anyway. Was that a stormy first draft? Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I sat in church while the pastor was preaching and wrote down my stormy first draft because I knew that the story I was telling myself was not the real story. And I think when we're aware of those things, we can just walk ourselves into a better place. Yeah. And that's, um, it's, it's such a funny thing to think about it that way, because we're so used to telling the story and then just accepting the story and, and moving on and never, never recognizing it for what it is. This is our subjective story about what's happening to us. and. Even if that story is laced with fact, it's important to recognize, okay, where am, where am I mixing facts with my own subjective ideas about this? Where am I mixing fact with my limited perspective? And, and so if you get into the habit of just stepping back and saying, okay, so what is the story today? And, and reviewing that story mm-hmm. and, and then just being honest and saying, okay, this story is probably crap. Yeah. And it's, then it's the, it's the first draft and, and I just, I just sat down and wrote it and the first draft is always the one that you throw away. Yeah. And, and the practice of it just gets us conscious of our own shame triggers, which can help us in our parenting. Because like I said, a lot of the things that end up either bothering us or making us feel angry about things that our children do have their roots in our childhood. 
and some of the, some of the shame stories that we've told ourselves. So, yeah. So the last point that I want to bring in is just something that we have a tendency to do as parents, moms, especially do this. Have you heard of mom guilt? Yeah. It's not really mom guilt. It's yeah, actually so mom shame. Mom shame. Mm-hmm. I think mom guilt rolls off of the tongue better and that's why they use it. Yeah. It's the wrong word. So anyways, th- there are a number of things that we, and, and gosh, with, with all of the new information that's coming out about child development and, um, but, but not just about child development, but things that you should be doing for your child and things that, you know, you should stop exposing them to or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, and then life is so hard and you feel like you're, you're just, you have to make exceptions to these rules that you have for yourself and, and you end up feeling shame about that. I'm such a bad parent. I'm, I'm such a bad mom. I'm such a bad dad. And you, you have to stop doing that to yourself. You are not, you're not a bad mother. You're not a bad father. Mm-hmm. That is not who you are. Now, what you did may not be in line with your values, but it also may have been necessary in order for you to maintain your sanity. I think when I think of mom guilt and the way that people use it, it's, um, I think of it as like, we're just not doing for our kids what we want to do. It's not necessarily something you've done. It's actually something you've not done. Um, that's, that's the way that it feels. And I think the root of that, at least for me, the root of that is I'm not enough. And that's the story that I tell myself. I didn't spend enough time with my kids today. I missed part of their growing up years because I was working. I, you know, didn't feed them as healthily as I should have today or whatever. And those are the things that can make you, um, but the root of all of that is that I am not enough. I am not a good enough mother. I am, you know, I, I chose work over kids today and that makes me not a good enough mother. And so the mom guilt has its roots in shame because, you know, one of the cornerstones of shame is I'm not enough. Does that make sense? Yeah. You're like really quiet. (laughs) Sorry. No, I was, I was just listening. Yeah. So I have, I have a really uh, fiery perspective on mom guilt because I think that culture does a really good job of making women feel shame because they're not perfect because they don't have everything together. And, uh, you know, they don't keep a perfect house. They don't raise their perfect kids. They don't look perfect all the time when they go out of their house. I, I can get really, uh, well, and bent it's, out of shape about all this. There's, there's such, there's such a powerful force because it's not just culture. It's also, you know, we, we can be guilty of doing it to each other. And, so, so it's not just, it's not just the overarching culture and, and the ideas, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's from person to person. It's, mm-hmm. it's those conversations where a mom says, yeah, I, I bought grass fed beef and that's what I'm feeding my kids now. And, yeah, and the other mother is sitting there thinking, gosh, I, I can't afford grass fed beef. Maybe I should stop buying beef, but my kids need to have protein. I guess I'm just going to have to feed them the bad stuff. Does that make me a bad mother? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so there there are all of these forces working toward you know that 
making you feel that shame. Mm -hmm. And so fight that, reject it. Because the, the truth is you really are doing the best for your child with yeah. what you know and what you have. I think instead of just saying fight that, that's kind of a, you know, like this broad uh, abstract thing. I would say like what we need to do is write a different story. And if that means that we need to get out a journal and talk about the story we're telling ourselves and turn it around to how many times, how much we have given up for our children and how much, you know, we have done for them and those kinds of things, then that's what we need to do. Because, yeah. because it makes it real, you know, um, when we're just like, oh, I really need to not feel guilty. That just kind of, you know, perpetuates. But, yeah, it, be, but if we can, if we can really get down and dirty with all of that and turn it around to something good and beautiful, I think that that's how we can leave it all behind. And if everybody were doing that, oh my gosh, what a different parenting world we would live in. Yeah. And, Sorry, I and get, I get really, <laughs> I get really passionate about this. No, it's good. We'd, and we'd probably stop doing it to one another and we'd probably change the culture. Yeah. But, but for now, I think the best thing that we can do is, is whenever we come in contact with people who are good at shaming is just to think, you know what, they're doing the best they can with what they have. And then just let it, you know, roll right off because we don't have to have shame anymore because we, we've, we've rewritten those stories. Yeah. All right. So we have some questions to get into. Okay. This one was from Sharla. She said, what's the best way to make sure kids learn the difference between guilt from their consequences for something they did and the feelings of guilt for the things they shouldn't need to feel guilty for? Like the kind of guilt moms feel all of the time. This is pretty much what we've been talking about. The, the word that we use Instead of where she says feelings of guilt, the word that we use is shame. It's it's the it's the identity piece. Mm -hmm. And so, what we're what we're teaching our kids in part by by just reinforcing their identity as much as we can, and and helping helping them to understand when they do make mistakes that that doesn't affect how we love them and support them. That's one way to teach them the difference between shame and guilt, and and to help them not to take shame on. Um, but then also teaching the responsibility and you know, making observations instead of value statements and, and helping our children to, to see that when they make mistakes, it's okay and they can be responsible and make those things right. Mm -hmm. That's, and, and just doing that consistently can help them understand the difference between the two. There was a similar question um, from Megan and she said, is it important for kids to know the difference between guilt and shame? And I would say it absolutely is, but it's not mm -hmm. going to come from sitting down and having a conversation and showing them the definitions of those two. It really is going to come from the the practice of working through those things. Right. And what we did with our son when he was experiencing the shame from school is that when he would come home every single day, I mean, this was like how many months did we, it was probably like six months we had to work on this. We had to do counseling, all kinds of stuff. Um, but every single day before I dropped him off at school, I would tell him, remember who you are. You're strong, you're courageous, you're kind, and you're mostly my son. And, and then every day we, we had to say, you know what, what you do does not make you who you are. Yeah. 
who you are is never changing. It, it was speaking life into who he was instead of um, letting that shame bring death. Have you seen that video yet of there's a, a teacher who talks to his special ed students before class starts and he, he just spends like 10 minutes just complimenting them. Uh-uh. This, this is really similar to me in nature. One, one of the most powerful things you can do for your child is to set aside purposeful time just to, and, and not compliment them to feed their ego, but remind them of who they are and why you love them. And, and that it's not because they behave well. It's not because they get good grades. It's not because they perform well in sports. It's not because they're a good singer, you know, get, get to the really fundamental things like, because you're my son or you're my daughter. Yeah. And, and and I'm proud to be your. Right. And what that communicates to him when you say, but you're mostly my son is that he is loved no matter what, just because he's our son. Yeah. So. Terrence asks, if my child keeps punishing himself for something he did wrong, how do we get him to move past it in a positive way? So this, it it sounds like something that we've experienced with our kids before where there's kind of this shame loop going on. And really the, the only way to, to break that is, is the, the two practices of reinforcing the identity and, and just, and, and sometimes you have to be more persistent with that story than the story that they're telling themselves. Yep. Which is a lot of work. Right. So you've got to drive that story home um, and then point them to whatever mistake it was and and say, it's okay that, that you did this wrong and it's and it's okay to admit that you made this mistake. It's so it's okay for you to be guilty of that mistake. And and here, you know, I I feel the, uh, the distaste with that word guilt because it's been associated with shame so much, but it really is just the fact that the child committed this offense. It's just, it's just a fact. And so when you can accept that fact and you realize that it doesn't affect your identity, you can take responsibility for it and make it right. Yeah. You are powerful to do that. Right. And, and you've just got to be so persistent with those stories. And I think when we're adults and we're caught in a shame loop, the best thing that we can do is re- just identify those shame triggers and explore the story that we're telling ourselves. I think that's just the best, you know, we have to be willing to walk into that crap. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to say the other word. because, <laughs> But it really, it's like stinky. And it's messy. And, and sometimes it really is easier to, to leave it and, and not to get into that stuff because it's kind of like, I don't know, when somebody breaks a bone and, it, and it's not set correctly. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know how much they still do this, but if it's, if it's going to heal back and it's going to actually cause problems or it's it's not going to function the right way um, sometimes they'll break it again so they can set it back the right way right and when you dive into those places where you feel shame and try to find the root of that 
it can feel very much like that. Like you're something that's already done a little bit of healing maybe, but, but has left you with a limp. It's like, it's like breaking that again and having to experience some of that pain again so you can set it back the right way. Mm -hmm. And don't go through that alone, by the way. If, if you can find people who will walk through that with you mm-hmm. or a therapist, if you need to, there is no shame in needing extra help. I just want to throw that out there. Yeah. Whatever that looks like. All right. I'm going to bring in one more question from Brian. He asks, how do you deal with others unnecessarily shaming your child for something they shouldn't feel guilty for? How can you tell? And when should you intervene? So this is interesting when you're in a situation where you're actually present. Well, maybe maybe that's not what he meant by the question. So we we kind of did answer that. Getting to the root of it, we we didn't go this far though. When you get to the root of it and you can you can discover where that story originated, I I would say it's definitely within your rights as a parent to approach the person from whom that story originated and mm-hmm. set the story straight. Not in a bullying way, but yeah. to say this is this is the story that my child is believing about himself because of this situation. And, yeah. And this this is not a true story and it needs to change. And so so it's absolutely within your rights as a parent to intervene in that situation where your child is not powerful or influential enough right. in that situation to do that for themselves. So what that looked like for us is I was up at that school like every single afternoon telling them, you know what, this is the story of who he is. This is what we need to know. He is not a bad kid. He is, you know, just advocating consistently. And I wasn't just doing it for my son. I was doing it for other people's sons who maybe don't have the time to do that because when an administration is willing to see a kid as a bad kid, that needs to be changed. Yeah. And it wasn't just for him I was doing it. It was also for the other kids who were quote unquote bad kids. And um, I, you know, I wrote letters. I sent stuff to school board members, I, all kinds of stuff. And um, I, I feel like we're in a much better place. Our son had to change teachers, all kinds of stuff. But I feel like we're in a much better place than we used to be. Yeah. And, and even still you know, that environment is not perfect. You, you have a lot of control over your own environment, but you don't have control over this, the school environment. I mean, there's a lot of, there's still a lot of work that has to be done. At the very beginning of the school year, we got a letter from the principal outlining a discipline plan that they're implementing for all of the students. And, and so there was, there were some good things about it, but there, there were also built into it these things that would point ch- uh, the children to a false identity of them- right. themselves mm-hmm. based on their behavior. And so, you know, there's, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. You're not always able to shape that environment and, and protect them fully from those things. But where your child needs help, needs somebody to come in and advocate for them, you as the parent have the right to do that. And then sometimes, or, or, and, and hopefully eventually, your child gets to a place where they're they're taking on that skill for themselves. They're able to recognize the false stories, and they may they may still have to put up with some crap mm-hmm. from people who don't get it. 
but at least they're not telling themselves a false story because because they've done the work of learning those skills and learning what they should take responsibility for and what's true and what's not true. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that was a lot. Yeah, it was. And then there was a fun side conversation going on in the chat room about bad language <laughs> because I don't know if it's going to make it into this episode or not, but there was, there was a, a section where you were, you were just quoting a book. Yeah. So if you're, if you're a person who's listening to this and you're not a part of the Sean West community, these are the things that you're missing out on. <laughs> you're potentially missing out on hearing Rachel say curse words. <laughs> and the fun, super fun side conversations that are going on in the chat room. Yeah. By the way, this is one of the ways that you can help out the show. If you really like the information that we're talking about and, and you, you want to help us you know, continue doing this and, and reach more people with, with these topics, go to seanwest.com slash community. We're, we're supported by members of this community. We don't do ads. We don't do anything like that. Um, we don't have sponsors. We are supported by this community of people. So not only are you helping out the show, but you can also be a part of the conversations that are going on with people who are just amazing. Rachel, where can people go to find us online? In the boat with Ben.com. That's right. Sign up for our newsletter. We've got a seven step guide to boosting your child's self esteem that's going to be coming out soon. We're going to be giving that away to our email list subscribers. So, in the boat with Ben.com, sign up, subscribe for our newsletter. We've got a lot of other exciting things on the horizon that we're looking forward to telling you about. I have a special announcement to make, Rachel. Okay. I'm going to be speaking at a conference next year. Wow. That's right. So the, the conference that I'm going to be speaking at is actually called the Sean West Conference. Sean West is the, the brand and the network that this show is a part of. And so the, the Sean West Conference is going to be for people who are entrepreneurs, freelancers, designers, creatives of all kinds. And, and my talk specifically is going to be focused on some of what we talk about here on In the Boat with Ben, which is balancing your work and your family life. Okay. And I haven't, I haven't selected a topic yet, but you should go check it out, seanwest.com slash conference. When you buy a conference ticket, you also get a year of membership in the Sean West community, which is super cool. So, so you get that added bonus and, and you can come in and be a part of the conversations leading up to the conference, which is going to, to be in October of 2016. Sean slash conference. If you want to find Rachel, she's at racheltolson.com. Yes, I am. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben Tolson, and you can follow Rachel on Twitter at Rachel Tolson. Thank you guys for listening today. And we'll see you next week. Good show, my dear. <laughs>
I'm coming up on a Sabbath week and I can totally feel that I need it. So I finished, you know, last week I had finished my NaNoWriMo book with the 60,000 words. And then this week I wrote another, uh, I think I've got 75,000 words on another book. And so like working that much is just, it's insane. Yeah. And so I can, I can totally feel that I need a break. So looking forward to it. That's good. I, I didn't prepare myself as much as I should have for the sabbatical. And so I actually have a day or two that I'm going to have to still work. Yeah. So I, and I, I hate that, but. Yeah. Cause this next week is our boys Thanksgiving vacation. So. That's right. I am taking Thanksgiving off. Yeah, for sure. Poor Sean. He's been doing so much work. Mm-hmm. Sean. Uh, for those of you who only listen to In the Boat with Ben and haven't heard any of the other shows on the network, Sean is uh, the man behind the brand, Sean West. His name is Sean McCabe, and he works incredibly hard. And he has a birthday coming up, and his birthday present to himself is a day of doing nothing. So on our sabbaticals, we still will schedule things, you know, not work, but it's just stuff to do and, and kind of things that we want to learn or side projects that we want to make some time for. He's having a day of doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. And, and I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit concerned that his head is going to explode. <laughs> for, from doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Mine probably would. I always have to have a book or something. I don't know if I could just do nothing. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's going to play video games or something like that. Yeah. No, he's not. 